0: Hello. You are listening to Perlustration, a podcast where we dive deep into cinematic universes. This episode, we are discussing the 2013 film Iron Man 3, directed by Shane Black. This is the seventh film in the MCU, so spoiler warning for this movie and the previous six MCU films. We will try not to spoil any future movies or any future plot points. Lucas, what are your overall
1: feelings about this film? This is one that uh, has grown on me over time. Um, You know, I liked it initially in the theaters, but uh, it's not one that I've rewatched a ton of times. But I really enjoyed it upon my most recent viewings. What about you? I would say this is my least favorite of the
0: films so far. That's fair. It's not to say it's a bad film. There were plenty of things that I enjoyed, but I I think that, and I rarely say this, that the film could have been maybe 10 or 15 minutes longer. Wow. They needed to put the pieces more cleanly together or make it more clear to the viewer why things were happening, what the motivations were for them happening. Or at least give us more context to the scenes that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example here. When when Tony's house gets attacked by the helicopters, at the end of the scene, the suit flies off. But the last we saw Tony, he was awake in the suit. And then we just jumped to a dark screen and him waking up in the suit to low battery. Mm-hmm. I was sitting there when he flew off like why is he either not going after the helicopters or why is he not going to check on Pepper and when I watched it the second time I just thought they could have easily put a five second shot of Tony passing out or something to give more
1: clarity to what was happening if that makes sense yeah I I I get what you're saying your point about why he didn't go back and save Pepper that makes a lot of sense or you know that I had the same question Um, I guess I thought he passed out under water, you know, because he's trapped under there, right? And then his glove shoots off and helps him out. Right. So the suit fills with water. I guess I just assumed he passed out at that point, but you're right. It's not very clear. I assume so as well, but yeah, I thought it could be a
0: little bit clearer. Mm -hmm. The other example that I'll give is that I was very confused at who Harley the kid was Why Tony knew the workshop was there. Why was the kid not alarmed that he was in the workshop? The first time I watched it, I thought, oh, this kid's dad was the soldier. Now his mom's a widow. Tony's trying to find out what happened, but that's not the case. No, no. Do we find out in the future or something about Harley? Or
1: should Um, I have picked up on... Did I miss something? No, I think you're... you're right uh right to think that it was unclear and unexplained um maybe if i'm using the phrase correctly like a deus ex machina like it just serves the story okay and i can understand that and
0: i don't necessarily hold it against the film but it did leave me questioning things when i should just be enjoying tony
1: and harley's relationship yeah um (laughs) you're like you're you're causing me to like rethink things now uh, because it just never occurred to me uh you know why tony would have uh stumbled into or broken into a workshop back there i guess maybe he just the first like barn garage thing he stumbled upon as he's like dragging this suit through the snow maybe it's just luck
0: (laughs) yeah it could be again maybe a short little scene showing that could have made it a little bit more clear to us. Like I was saying, maybe the film could have been 10 to 15 minutes longer and give it a little bit more context to scenes, but the scenes themselves that we got aren't bad at all. So I'm in this weird place where I don't want to rag on the film for it, but at the same time I'm left asking questions that I feel could have been easily answered.
1: Yeah. The the biggest question I had kind of... It... It, it ends up resolving itself because the bad guy, you know, is no more. But the whole story from from the start of AIM to where we get now, like there's a lot of leaps and bounds that uh, Killian goes through to go from, uh, you know, a nerdy... Uh, I don't know if he's... He doesn't appear to be physically disabled, but they clearly do stuff with the extremist to make him taller, muscular. You know, his hair hairline is not receding i don't know he was either
0: walking with a limp or with a cane okay if i remember correctly
1: yeah so they they fixed that part which in my mind would have been like his primary motivation but then he's spurned by iron man so he's on a a, you know decade-long journey to overthrow the u.s government (laughs) it's kind of unclear why he's doing what he's doing and how he got there um because seemingly his goal was to do this extremist thing and he did that so why why his the villain's motivations um outside of just being anti-tony were unclear to me
0: totally agree he should have just stopped at healing people and sold that
1: and become insanely rich this doesn't answer the whole mandarin and like uh domestic terrorism plot line but um they did he didn't have the whole extremist thing figured out completely. You know, that's why we had these exploding people and when they get too hot, it's unstable. Um, the other scientist, Maya, she, she comes up with the idea to recruit Tony or re recruit Tony um, to help figure it out. Cause he's a smart guy. And that's how pepper ends up getting involved is because Killian's a bad guy. and He uses her to motivate Tony to help him solve the extremist problem right he still
0: shouldn't have maybe tried to kill tony in that case but maybe he wasn't on the same page
1: yeah and i wonder if there's a bit of the like um similar to the super soldier serum um the amplification of the negative qualities inside he starts becoming a little unstable and um overly aggressive as he's the longer he takes this extremis. right right no that's a good point because, yeah, Maya, it, when she holds that injector up to her neck, she's like, without me, you'll, eventually you'll run too hot as well. And basically implying that uh, Killian will explode just like the other um, extremist soldiers.
0: You are right. A couple other things that I want to touch on here before we jump into our stones. I just wanted to talk about Happy. I was glad to see that John Favreau, Return for the role, even though he wasn't directing the film. And they put that, you know, initial scene in 1999 where they have Eiffel (laughs) 65 playing. And he is wearing a total John Travolta Pulp Fiction look with the bolo tie, the slicked black hair. Totally appropriate for somebody running security in the late 90s. You know, they would think (laughs) that look is really cool. So I thought that was a really nice touch. And clearly John Favreau has an appreciation for Tarantino's
1: work he seems to allude to it a lot I'm sure at this point you won't be surprised to learn that I have not seen Pulp Fiction but I do know the John Travolta uh at least I've seen pictures of him in that film so I know what you're talking about right yeah you're familiar with his look uh, yeah with the um looking around gif yes yes exactly (laughs) Okay, well before
0: we get into our six stones, we're gonna pause real quick to hear a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Mammoth Cooler. Mammoth Cooler makes professional grade coolers, drinkware, and more. They are ready for anything from a day at the beach, to an extended camping trip, and everything in between. Their soft shell cooler line includes the Trooper 30 cooler backpack. It has a roll top closure, making it leak proof and airtight. With included air valve technology, you can add or remove air to maximize performance. The inner liner is antimicrobial, which means it resists mold and mildew and all those nasty things you don't want. It also has ultra-comfortable backpack straps which make it easy to take a high-quality cooler anywhere. All Mammoth Coolers are backed by a lifetime warranty and shipped to the 48 continental United States. Visit www.mammothcooler.com to order. Use the promo code BEGONIAFM all one word, at checkout to get 10% off your order. We want to thank Mammoth for sponsoring this episode and all of Begonia FM. Welcome back. Our first stone, haunted by New York. Tony is experiencing PTSD. Yeah, definitely. He is having panic attacks whenever New York is brought up. The constant prying from the media and all the attention and questions that surface around anything, you know, from a terrorist attack to a potential another alien invasion is pretty much always on his mind. He can't sleep. He cannot sleep. Yeah, Jarvis even mentioned specifically at one point he had been up for 72 straight hours when he was trying out a suit. And that's
1: what he was doing with his time and with his energy. Yeah, and 72 hours... uh... You're getting dangerously close to uh, hallucinations and just general mental instability uh, that comes with staying awake for too long. Once you get past two days, uh, it it really gets dicey. So Jarvis has right
0: to be concerned. <laughs> oh, definitely. I think he's not only you know concerned, you know, for the health of Tony, but also just you know as a friend to Tony, mm-hmm. just trying to nudge him, you know, in the way of hey. Don't forget, you've
1: been up for a while. Maybe this isn't the best idea. Yeah, he 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 does a lot of like safety warnings that, you know, I've prepared. I've prepared a safety briefing for you to entirely ignore. Yeah, it's it's rough, and and you can tell he doesn't even fully understand what's going on. I, you know, I don't think he thinks he has PTSD. Um, at least at this point, at the beginning of the movie, um, but when he's in that bar or restaurant with um, with Roadie, and he runs outside and hops in the suit. And he's asking Jarvis to check it out. Is it is is my brain freaking out? Is it a heart attack? Am I, you know, am I having a stroke or something? And Jarvis is like, Nope, everything's fine. Looks like you just had a panic attack, or anxiety attack. It's it's got to be hard to for him too that he doesn't really have anybody to talk to about this. As helpful and uh, as much as Pepper can be there for him for him, he she she doesn't understand. You know, she didn't experience the alien invasion the same way that he did. So. The only people that can he can talk to about it are the other Avengers, and they're all spread out. So he, he does have a bit of uh, isolation feelings as well. Yeah, clearly.
0: And he feels responsible for the safety of Pepper. So even having those conversations with her, it's probably tough for Tony to be 100% truthful in that he doesn't know if he can protect her against everything because... He probably didn't imagine a
1: wormhole opening in the sky and aliens invading. Yeah, and and now that a wormhole opening up over New York is all he can think about. He is. This is why he spends a lot of his time making new suits. He's always improving. He's always tinkering and preparing for the unknown. You know, what what new battle situation is he going to uh, find himself in next time? No, you're totally right, and. That is what snaps him
0: out of a panic attack when the movie really turns. And he has a panic attack because the suit isn't recharging the way that he wants it to. And then Harley, you know, reminds him that he's a mechanic and that he builds things. And that seems to always calm Tony is to get his mind and hands busy solving problems. Mm Mm-hmm. But you were talking about the suits there, so let's just jump into the second stone. It is the suits. It is something that we've been following since the very first MCU film here. We are now on the Mark 42. Yeah, that's a big jump. That is a big jump. I believe Seven was the most recent model we saw in Avengers.
1: Yes, the bracelet one where he he falls out of the building. Right, after his conversation with Loki. So. He's been very busy tinkering. Yeah. It, it's unclear exactly how much time has passed, but I think it's reasonable to assume it's on the order of six months to a year, not, not much longer. So he is really cranking out suits. Well, he's staying up for three days at a time. Yeah, yep. I imagine he's pretty productive. And he's got like a factory in his in his house, like in the basement that just like can build anything. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, and we still have the super cute robot that he always gives a hard time. Dummy,
0: I like that they've kept him around. Yeah, but here, walk me through the suits. We're okay. You know, looking at roughly thirty-three new suits, thirty-four.
1: Yeah. So I'll I'll give the the high level. I I know this is a deep dive podcast, but there's just a lot there. <laughs> I don't want to. I'm not going to list every single one, but I'll give them in chunks here. Uh, the first. Several suits he develops after the Avengers movie are experimental in, this, in, the, in the sense that they are different from each other um, and constantly improving. You know, eight, 8, 9, and 10 are straight improvements on flight because, well, he flew that missile up into space and almost didn't make it back. Um, so that's high on his mind. Um, then after that, he starts developing stealth technology. Um, darker colors, some camouflage, stuff. And then once we get to like into 15, he creates or he starts creating what will become known as the Iron Legion, which is just the collection of all his suits.
0: And each of his suits
1: can be controlled by Jarvis, theoretically, correct? Yes. So uh, yeah, we do end up seeing this at the end where Jarvis is controlling the house party protocol, flying all the suits around, attacking targets. Um, it's reasonable to assume he learned this, or at least got the idea from Iron Man 2, uh, with Anton Vanko, um, or Ivan Vanko, sorry. I, um, doing the drone suits at the Stark Expo. So basically from then on, I I think it's reasonable to assume any of his suits can be controlled by remote, either direct remote control or drone, you know, automated control. Understood. Continue, please. Yeah. So... Yep, so once we get into the Iron Legion, um, these are when all of the these are when all of the suits have nicknames. Essentially, we've got uh, Sneaky, the first real camouflage suit, uh, nightclub, and even more advanced uh, stealth suit, Heartbreaker, Casanova, Tiger Python, Midas, Hot Rod, Shades, Tank, um, and then we get some some of the cool ones that we see in the film. Like Igor, Igor, like Igor, the heavy lifting one that saves the uh, the, I don't know what it is, an oil rig platform from collapsing. He like jumps underneath it and he's got these like reinforced spine mechanisms that hold it up. Um, we see Red Snapper. Yeah, it looks like a mech suit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, we also see Red Snapper, which is um, one of Tony's attempts to create like a disaster rescue. Suit that um, has two heavy claws that are used for moving debris, you know, a you know, Hurricane Katrina type situation where people may be trapped under buildings. And, you know, he shows up on the scene and can just move debris out of the way and save people. Then we see more attempts into his high velocity, high altitude um, flight capabilities. He's got one called Shotgun. This is the fastest suit he's ever designed. Um, its top speed is unknown, but it is. It is called a hypervelocity suit, which in the very ambiguous naming convention of things like this, hyper typically means like Mach 7 to Mach 8, so 7 to 8 times the speed of sound. That's fast. Real fast. Um, that would be, the shotgun one is the Mark 40, so the last two here are, are Bones and uh, the Prodigal Son or the Mark 42, um, the, the suit that we see him trying on at the beginning of this movie. Um, bones is you do see it at on the oil rig it's the one that can like break itself apart and attack multiple combatants and then reassemble itself Um, that's kind of the first attempt or first crack tony took at the what becomes the mark 42 the you know um, independently controlled components of the suit
0: right and his ability to call the suit mm-hmm. is from those
1: injections that he does at the beginning of the film. Correct. 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 It's like a transmitter tracker type thing. Um, unclear exactly what it is because he is able to, like, point to Pepper and the suit goes and grabs onto hers, and she doesn't have those inject those things injected to her. So it's got to be something just about controlling the suit, like a like an Xbox Connect motion control thing. Yeah, like a mocap yeah, suit or yeah. something
0: like that. Okay, one more thing here
1: with the suits. Iron Patriot. Yeah, is that in the comics? Yeah. Uh, so it's it's one of those things that like exists in the comics, and they kind of adapted it um, for the for the cinematic universe, and then it has gone full circle and kind of gone back into the comics in the way that the um, cinematic universe has um, portrayed it. Um, it started off as a green goblin um trying to uh the green goblin is a spider-man villain um he tries to like decorate himself like a and and rally rally the public around him it's it's this weird evil subplot thing um but eventually it is co-opted by war machine as his it's the war machine mark ii so to speak and then eventually someone else takes the mantle. Um, it's a name that I was not familiar with, but it's relatively recent in the comic book universe.
0: Okay, stone number three is the villains. Big bad guys. <laughs> Big bads. Yep. Well, not all of them. Our first one, Trevor Slattery, or <laughs> the Mandarin, is not really a bad guy. Unclear if he actually murders that. ExxonMobil or whatever employ
1: Roxxon Yeah, Employee. <laughs> I'm glad you picked up on that. that I was I was going to bring it up. Roxon is very clearly the uh, ExxonMobil of the Marvel Cinematic Universe.
0: Yeah, I caught that.
1: <laughs> so I, you know, other than that murder, like on the
0: screen, unclear if he's actually a bad guy, but we find out that he's just an actor for an actor Aldrich Killian.
1: Yeah, uh, this one is. Quite a bit of a shock for uh, comic book fans because the Mandarin is Tony's arch nemesis or one of Tony's arch enemies in uh, the comics. He's uh, he's a genius scientist and you know highly skilled um, at things similar to Tony. Uh, but he is I, th- I believe he's of Chinese descent. Either he believes himself to be or is actually a descendant of Genghis Khan um, and gets. He has superpowers from these 10 rings what, that he wears one on each finger and each one has a special ability. Um, so th- it was a very, very big subver- subversion of expectations when it was revealed that he's just an actor and and Aldrich, Aldrich Killian is the actual bad guy. Oh,
0: very cool. So that's almost more for real comic book fans, the twist. Yeah, obviously it was a twist to me as well, but... Your expectations of the Mandarin are much more ele- more elevated than mine. Yeah. So when it the when they reveal that for you it is even that much more effective because of your previous knowledge of the Mandarin. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Well, that our real villain of the film is Aldrich Killian, who has quite a glow up in the beginning of the film <laughs> yeah. from 1999 to modern day. He he looks pretty rough in in the in the first scene. He does, but it was the late '90s. You know, it was the grunge era. Mm. Maybe he was just—he's going for really that Kurt Cobain that look. look. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's incredibly evil, but also pretty smart. We did touch on earlier that his motivations
1: are questionable. But he is a smart guy. He is a—he's a scientist by nature. You know, he founded this um, think tank, Advanced Idea Mechanic, AIM, which is uh, a long staple of the comics as well. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason to believe he's not capable of anything. Um, that's what kind of made his motivations even more unclear to me. But, yeah, they, they don't really mention what was, quote-unquote, wrong with him in the beginning of the movie. Uh, but the all his work with the biologist, uh, Maya, have paid off, apparently, since he's tall, handsome, muscular, and super-powered. <laughs> yeah, he's breathing fire. Yeah.
0: Overall, I didn't really mind his lack of motivation. And maybe that's because of Guy Pierce and how good his performance was. But overall, I would have preferred maybe the Mandarin not be so such a fool. Maybe he is an actor, but takes advantage of his
1: position. Maybe that could have made it more interesting. Mm, I see. All all that said, though, uh, all the scenes with the Mandarin or Ben Kingsley were hilarious so fun to watch fantastic yeah yeah he was <laughs> he's like falling was asleep so as he's being threatened <laughs> did you just nod off
0: <laughs> yeah it was great they're like why didn't you press the button you know or whatever he's like well you know there was a problem but then i then i solved it is wh-
1: why didn't you push the why didn't you push the panic button well i panicked but then i handled it <laughs> that was great yeah well before we leave the the villain topic real quick um i wanted a, a quick Call back to the first Iron Man film when he is in the desert with, no oh man, I'm struggling to remember his name now. the the guy who's forcing him to build the um the Jericho missile. He is the leader of the Ten Rings, which is the like organ criminal organization. That is just a straight up reference to the Mandarin and the Ten Rings. Oh, ultimately fruitless. You know, like they don't call back to it or anything like that. And as we see, we don't get the true. Or the comic book mandarin with the powerful rings but it's just a little nod no that's cool
0: especially for super fans like you that can pick up on it just a little bit something extra there if you're paying attention Mm -hmm. but before we do find out the mandarin is an actor we have tony
1: and the kid together which is our fourth stone yes the kid his name is harley he's a I guess Tony sees himself in the kid. He's a smart kid. He's bullied um, at school, though. I can't imagine Tony himself was bullied at school. He's <laughs> the son of a, a famous rich guy, and he's also really smart and graduated MIT early. I I don't know, but I do think that Tony has a soft spot for the kid. I totally agree, and it, it gives Tony a
0: chance to just be Tony for a little bit mm-hmm. while the kid has questions about New York from time to time, which cause. Him to have panic attacks. He also has these moments where, you know, he's not wearing the suit. He's not in his mansion. He's just in a dirty workshop talking to, you know, someone who, you know, maybe doesn't see all the evil in the world and still was like wide eyes. Mm-hmm. I love that small town that they built there, Rose Hill, and all the subtle Christmas decorations going on everywhere you could feel like how
1: warm the bar was when tony goes in there yeah yeah it's like ice cold snow on the ground outside everybody's shivering and he bust through the door and he get blast with that warm air definitely on the topic of christmas i think i think you mentioned at the end of the last episode that this the fact that this movie was directed by shane black kind of tipped you off to the fact that there might be a christmas element to this I had seen this movie before and I knew that it took place around Christmas time because of the giant rabbit and um, the Christmas ornaments that Tony uses later on in the movie. Uh, but what tell me about the, the Christmas theme and how you knew that that was going to be a, a thing.
0: Well, there were, before I talk about that, there were a few other little fun Christmas nods throughout the film. We get jingle bells going on in the background. Uh, we get uh, the Christmas tree farm there in the small town. We get the big tree at the end on the oil rig. Yep. A few other songs here there. But I did say that because I don't know exactly where I heard it. And I wasn't able to find the specific quote. But the quote that I had heard is that like Shane Black likes to set his movies around Christmas time. Because if you show a character alone at Christmas, that's all you need to know about the character. Now, I don't know if that's true. But I did look into it. Uh, And I did find this quote when he did an interview with Entertainment Weekly. Shane Black goes, quote, It tends to be a touchstone for me, talking about Christmas. Christmas represents a little stutter in the march of days, a hush in which we have a chance to assess and retrospect our lives. I tend to think also that it just informs as a backdrop. The first time I noticed it was in the movie Three Days of the Condor, the Sidney Pollock film, Christmas in the background adds this really odd chilling counterpoint to the espionage plot. I also think that Christmas is just a thing of beauty, especially as it applies to places like Los Angeles where it's not as obvious and you have to dig for it like little nuggets. So he clearly has this relationship with Christmas where he feels it elevates the art that he makes and I really like that about him. It's his signature. And I mean, I really enjoy the Christmas time in general, just the lights and the weird collection of songs that you get the excuse (laughs) to play for 30 days. And only 30 days. It is an interesting backdrop. And every film that I had seen directed by him before this film did have Christmas in it, which also gave me the idea that this film might also have Christmas involved. But I think that that is a really cool little fact about Shane Black that I didn't fully know. I just kind of heard the, you know, passed down story for however long. Hmm. Have you seen any of his other films, like Lethal Weapon or The Nice Guys or...
1: Uh, no. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I I have seen the most recent Predator movie, which uh, was not that great. But (laughs) to be honest, I didn't even know or didn't recognize that that took place around Christmas or there was a Christmas element to that movie, so... I have not seen Lethal Weapon though. That's a, uh, it, it is pretty high on my list now, especially since there's like a couple of them. Hey, might be a good season to uh, perlustrate <laughs> Could be,
0: but uh, let's move along to our fifth stone, Tony's trilogy or Tony's arc reactor. <laughs> Tony's Ark. <laughs> this is the third film in the Iron Man trilogy, the film that started this mcu and this is also the first film that gets the advantage of having the avengers aftermath as a part of its story built in you know Mm -hmm. not only did iron man kick off phase one it's now kicking off phase two of the mcu but it's also in a way a completion of tony's initial arc in this greater
1: story yeah i think um Starting off phase two is is a big moment for the MCU, but also just for Iron Man. Um, as you said, we, we have seen him grow from well from zero to hero, or he was never really zero, but um, from his his past life, you know, as he references in this movie, uh, you know, he cleaned up his act. He he left the bars and party scene behind and focused on doing good in the world. As we've seen, even through Iron Man two and the Avengers, he's still, despite being a hero and doing things to make the world a better place, he's still pretty arrogant and unapologetically so. I would say, uh, and I think this movie or the post post Avengers Tony, um, you know, when he sacrifices himself and flies that missile up into the wormhole, uh, after that he is he's different, like very different, and much more focused on the big picture. Um, and, and where previously he was sort of focused on the big picture, but also kind of focused on himself and, and doing whatever he wanted to do. Um, so I think, I think this is a fitting end to the trilogy and a great stepping stone to the rest of the MCU.
0: I totally agree. And the only thing that I'll add to that is that when we met Tony initially, he was designing weapons selling them to the military and unknowingly selling them to other groups as well and the finale of the third part of this story is Tony basically destroying it all anything that he had left yep of that experience and of that past life so that walks us nicely into our sixth stone here, and that is the Clean
1: Slate. Yes, I love a good code name for an operation. We started with the house house party protocol uh, when all the suits get released and then ends with the Clean Slate protocol. Um, Blown up all the suits, turning into fireworks. I'm curious, how, uh, how did they actually blow up? Did he have explosives planted in the suit? No way, right? That wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> Tony is definitely one for flair. Yeah. I, I it was a, a huge grand gesture especially for Pepper to show to show her that he wanted to focus on their relationship and his the, the Iron Man part of his life is behind him basically or or at least he's willing to put it behind him Um, and blowing up all his suits is the best way he can show her that and those suits are also a representation
0: of him processing New York and by exploding them it shows that he's finding a way to start to move past that
1: that's actually productive true true uh it it might also be worth noting that when pepper is all hopped up on that extremis she actually destroys the mark 7 suit the suit that he wore in the battle of new york nice catch i did not catch that yeah that's the one that she jumps up and puts her fist through the chest and slams it down oh yeah with the superhero landing yeah Three, three point yep.
0: landing every time you got to do it <laughs> it's hard on the knees it is it's hard on the fist too why do you got to put your foot on, or your hand on the ground unclear why you wouldn't just land on your feet yeah but uh so pepper is cured tony has the arc reactor removed yep from his chest hopefully uh, loki doesn't bring his staff back and <laughs> try to mind control him or else he's in trouble next time around. Uh, the house has been blown up. He blew up the suits. And Tony has the realization that he himself is Iron Man with or without
1: the suit. Mm-hmm. Finally answering the question from Cap. Take off the suit. What are you? I am Iron Man. Definitely. And even at the beginning of this movie, he
0: mentions to Pepper that the suits are a part of him. Mm-hmm. You know, and then he's
1: willing to let that go by the end of the film. Uh, two fun tidbits about the arc reactor being removed from the chest that you might not have noticed. In the very beginning in Switzerland at uh, New Year's Eve, when he, you know, m- embarrasses himself uh, in front of um, the doctor while well, we, f- we see Ho Jensen introducing him to a doctor.
0: Yeah, where do... I had it here. Where do I... Rem- I was like... Ho Jensen, that sounds familiar. Where do I know him from?
1: I think you have a guess. Now, I want to hear the guess before I tell you. Was he in
0: the cave with Tony?
1: Yes. Yes. He's he's the guy that saves Tony in the cave. Second viewing,
0: I was like, wait a second. I think I do remember this guy. But I did, the name stuck out to me on the first viewing. So I did have it in my notes there. I was like, should I know this guy?
1: Yep. So in the cave, uh, Jensen mentions to Tony, you know, we met once before. At a conference in Switzerland, and uh, he says, "If I was that drunk, I wouldn't have been able to speak, uh, much less give a give a talk on whatever." I remember, yes. So Ho Yinsen introduces him to Doctor Wu at this conference, um, and Tony makes jokes about heart doctors, and the girl's gonna need a heart doctor. That's the doctor that removes the arc reactor and shrapnel from his chest at the end of the movie. Oh, nice. Yeah. And uh, the second fun tidbit about that scene is the shrapnel that is removed from his chest. Tony has turned into a necklace that he puts on Pepper at the very end when they're out on the balcony. I did not pick up on that either. It, it's real subtle. I only got it on my second second viewing. Um, as the shrapnel is being lifted up, it goes to the top of the screen, and then that like the necklace comes into frame. Right, you know it's like a wipe or something i can't remember the, the movie term for it but shot after shot you know we see it in the last shot we <laughs> see the shrapnel in the next shot we see the necklace yeah there you go those are just nice. so fun
0: such fun tidbit, tidbits i totally agree before we get on to more fun tidbits
1: let's pause to hear a word from our sponsors this episode is brought to you by mammoth cooler Mammoth Cooler makes professional-grade coolers, drinkware, and more. They're ready for anything from a day at the beach to an extended camping trip and everything in between. The Cruiser and Ranger series coolers are roto-molded for extreme durability and longevity. It takes over one hour of manufacturing to form the thick inner and outer walls of each cooler box and lid. The cooler lid is constructed with a freezer-grade gasket made of thick rubber that seals against the rim of the cooler to prevent any airflow or loss of internal temperature. All of this helps maintain ice retention for up to seven days. The Ranger 65 is even certified bear-proof. All Mammoth coolers are backed by a lifetime warranty and shipped to the 48 continental United States. Visit www.mammothcooler.com to order and use the offer code BEGONIAFM, all one word, at checkout to get 10% off your order. Make sure to use that code and let Mammoth know you came from us. We want to thank Mammoth for sponsoring this episode and all of BegoniaFM.
0: Okay, categories.
1: Lucas, pick your power. I-, I want the ability to grow back limbs. You see it, you see it happen multiple times with that extremis. It's a good ability to have just
0: in case of emergency, right? Yeah. I'm going to pick something similar. I am picking the fire breathing. Ah, fun. Specifically. Yeah, that would be a cool party trick. You could like eat like something spicy and be like, ah, you know, and breathe fire.
1: <laughs> the- <laughs> uh <laughs> uh who, who's your hero hmm i i gotta go with the, the 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 true hero of the story tony we get we get a full arc from him we see him at his lowest and we can see what he really can do without without his suits and what he can do with the suits so tony stark
0: i am actually in agreement with you on this one nice. i have tony as the hero as well honorable mention to happy because he was hot on the trail initially mm-hmm. and he's the one that took that part that led tony on the trail yep so sh- shout out to happy and he's like pointing to the dog tags right right mm-hmm. all right what is
1: your unofficial ranking of this film uh, okay pre-season rank was relatively low at 15 but upon this rewatch, it's kind of uh re-sparked my um interest in in iron man so this is the number three movie so far
0: wow that really jumped up okay i will be interested to track this film specifically through your rankings keep me keep me updated on where iron man 3 is will do (laughs) for my unofficial rating i'm giving this film two and a half out of five tattoos of tony stark's face (laughs) you mean uh you mean hispanic scott baio precisely (laughs) All right, one minute on the clock.
1: Lucas, what did we miss? Oh, well, we missed all of Tony's, like, non-suit action. He, You know, he just bought a bunch of stuff from Ace Hardware or whatever and built a bunch of stuff and infiltrated a mansion in Miami. It was awesome. He made grenades with uh, fertilizer, I guess, part of his explosive, out of Christmas ornaments. Genius deception, especially for the Christmas theme of the movie. He made a home homemade taser. They like fries some dude brain with. Uh, he he made his own nail gun, which is wild. Like, why wouldn't you just buy a nail gun at the at the hardware store? But um, and then the uh, the shock mitt. Oh, I, I missed up, mixed up. I mixed up the taser and shock mitt. Uh, the taser, he actually like shoots somebody with like a taser that projectile, and then the other one is like an oven mitt with some coils on it that he fries a dude's brain with. But yeah, that's uh you mentioned earlier harley kind of talking tony through his panic attack and saying you know you're the mechanic build something and so he goes to the hardware store builds stuff it's
0: awesome it was a really fun scene and then i like that tony returns the favor at the end of the film you know including all the way down to the watch that harley
1: took from his sister so that doesn't belong to you yeah that was a good one also uh one more thing he left in the garage was the uh, potato cannon mark ii Correct. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully getting this kid on the on the Mark II, Mark 3 naming convention, and then he'll maybe he's the next boy wonder. I don't know. Creates a new suit or something. Interested to see where Harley ends
0: up. Thanks everybody for listening. If you have any questions or feedback, send an email to hello at begonia.fm or reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram at fm For our next episode, we are doing something a little bit different. We are watching the first seven episodes from season one of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. A big thanks to Mammoth Coolers for sponsoring this episode. Lucas, take us out. Sweetheart,
1: that could be the name of my autobiography.
0: Okay, post credit scene, showing Tony basically was telling Banner the story the whole time, and Banner fell asleep at roughly the very beginning of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's it's a fun, um, you know, we start, the movie starts on a black screen, um, with Tony narrating over the top, you know, quoting some famous guy, you know, he said it, now I'm saying it. Uh, and it's not; it doesn't pay off until the very end when you realize he's like telling the story from his point of view on the couch, is great. And then <laughs> the Banner says, uh, "Somewhere around the elevator, he fell asleep." And so that's like five minutes into the movie. <laughs> I loved it. I give the post-credit scene five out of five tattoos of Tony Stark's face. <laughs> I wanted to round out the quote for the the autobiography. This is when um tony's being attacked by the uh female quote-unquote homeland security agent the the extremist lady and he like he puts the dog tags in the microwave and blows them up and she says is that all you got a cheap trick and a one-liner and stark says sweetheart that could be the name of my autobiography (laughs) cheap trick and a one-liner man tony